You never know. Good evening. Good to see you. I've been looking forward to getting back to this. Uh, last week was great with Vacation Bible School, but I missed our class. So we're, we're looking into Philippians. Later we'll look into Colossians. Uh, where did we start two weeks ago in our study of Philippians? Anybody remember? We started in Acts. So if we were going to read about the establishment of the church in Philippi, where would we go in Acts? Chapters 15 and 16. 15 kind of gets us introduced to Paul in his travels, and then we go into chapter 16. Who do we meet in chapter 16? There are uh, a couple of people, three people in particular. Who, who's that? Timothy. Where was Timothy from? Had good smelling breath, remember? Because he was a, he was a Listerine. He was from, from Lystra. Yeah, all right. That's that's good for a laugh every time. I don't know why. Said, well, of course I do know why, but because you love me, it's just a mercy laugh. Well, whatever. So, so Timothy joins up with Paul, and who else is Paul traveling with, or who else is traveling with Paul? Silas. Silas. Remember in chapter 15, there was a little bit of a fuss, an argument. Who was that argument between? Paul and Barnabas. John Mark had set out to go with them on a previous trip, and he backed off and he left them. And so Paul did not want to take him again. But Barnabas, by the way, what was John's relationship to Barnabas? John Mark was Barnabas' nephew. So he said, yeah, let's take the boy. And they had a sharp disagreement, so sharp that they split company. And so Paul has Silas, and he's going to wind up in Philippi. And Barnabas takes Mark, and they go off preaching in another ship. What will happen later on? Now, we, we haven't covered this. We didn't talk about it in class. Anybody know what happens later on? They, they, they reconcile, and Paul asks for John Mark by name, says he's, he's beneficial to me, he's profitable to me. So, so the young man grows, and... It's a, it all turns out great. It's kind of like what what Paul wrote in Romans 8, where all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So it worked out great there. Who else did we meet in chapter 16 of Acts? Who? Lydia. Tell me something about Lydia. She sells purple. Is she from Philippi? She's not from Philippi. Where's she from? Thyatira, isn't that an interesting name? It just kind of Thyatira, fun to say. Kind of like Jezebel. But, but don't get those two ladies mixed up because they're totally opposites. Who else? What's that? The the clothing was was probably very expensive because it was expensive to make. If, if that's what you're asking about. Maybe it, it's possible. They might have been the only ones able to afford it. But, but if you had money, you could get purple stuff, and she was a seller of purple. And you may recall, this is, it's, it's kind of in there, but it's not really in there. It's nothing that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to make a big deal about. But it does say she was a seller of purple. She was not in her hometown. She was in Thyatira. But she had a house large enough for her entire household because her household was there with her. How do we know that? Because when she obeyed the gospel, 
says her whole household obeyed the gospel. And then what did she ask of Paul and Silas and Timothy? Come and stay with us. So she, she must have been a woman of means. That's all speculation, but it's based on the evidence that's in the text. Just, just kind of a, something to think about. I, I like to read between the lines and not make too much out of anything, but there's, there's more of a picture there sometimes than we realize if we just take a look at the information that's presented. Who else do we meet in, in uh, Acts 16 besides Lydia and her family? Meet the jailer. The jailer and his family also. It says of her, her entire household obeyed when they heard the gospel. And the same thing of the jailer. He and his entire household obeyed the gospel. So it's very interesting the way things work there. Anything else about the establishment of the church there in... Okay. And that's how, that's how Paul and Silas got in trouble in the first place. Slave girl was walking around saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. And Paul didn't want her doing that out of an evil spirit, so he cast out the demon, cast out the spirit. And her her owners, those who were in charge of making money with her, got upset and they brought charges. And so he was. they were thrown in the jail. That's how that came about. So to the letter of Paul to the Philippians... That's where we are. Let's do a little reading and talk about what we have read. Who would like to read the first 11 verses of the letter to the Philippians? This letter, by the way, as you read this thing, it's, it really is a letter. It's, uh, it's very warm. It's not Paul taking on, I'm an apostle and you need to listen to me. This is, this is a man writing to people that he loves and cares about who seem to have a very warm and intimate relationship. Uh, you may get that as you read like I did. First 11 verses, who wants to read? All right, Bob. Paul and Timothy, bondservants in Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are qualified, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have been in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how, how I long for you all with the affection of of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, is there anything that you might think is absent in Paul's initial statement, his, his greeting, the first few things. What does he often say in other letters as he opens that he doesn't say here? An apostle. He doesn't say Paul, an apostle. If, if he did say Paul, an apostle, what would that immediately establish? Authority. 
And it's, it seems, I, this is another one of those things where I'm just kind of looking at the thing and, and surmising. Maybe he knew these folks well enough and the relationship was good. And he knew he didn't have to establish his authority with these people. They knew him. They loved him. They were supporting him financially, we find out in the letter. And they've got an emissary. Anybody remember who the emissary is? The guy that, that goes with Paul and takes messages? His name's Epaphroditus. We'll, we'll meet him a little later on. And a couple of ladies. And uh, He talks a lot about Jesus, but, it, of course, in between talking about Jesus, he mentioned some of the saints, and Epaphroditus is one of those. So he's got a relationship with them, and he, he doesn't start off Paul, an, an apostle. He says, bond servants. What does that mean? Where's he writing from? Almost certainly writing from prison. And it looks like if you read the, we haven't gotten to the final chapters of Acts yet, but if you read the last chapter of Acts, Luke, as he finishes Acts, finishes up writing about Paul still being in Rome. He's in prison in Rome. It's not like he's down in a dungeon like he was in Philippi, however. In Rome, uh, they recognize his Roman citizenship, and he is given reign of the house. He's got a soldier who stays with him to, to make sure he stays there, kind of the, the requirement of the law or whatever. But he's, he's in a place where he can receive visitors, and that's how Luke describes it in Acts. But it is in Rome. And it's interesting. Look down in verse uh, 13. What do you see there that you don't see anyplace else in the scriptures? There's a mention of a, a branch of the military. Who were the Praetorian Guard? The, these were the elite. What's that? The best, the best. They were the best. They were the elite. And they would have been uh, almost certainly in Rome, close to Rome. And then when he's closing later on, I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves, but just to kind of give you an idea of what we're looking at here. In chapter 4 and verse 22, look what he says there. All the saints greet you, especially who? Around the White House here in America? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's kind of the same thing. When the, well, there would be some elite police force supposedly up there to guard the building. I don't know much about capital security. Yeah. But we're talking about... That, that would be the Praetorian Guard in the capital. Well, the difference, I think, would be that... Uh, it's the same kind of an idea, though. You've got somebody whose their special significance is guarding Caesar, guarding the White House, guarding important. What's that? It wasn't a no a jailer. Not not this time. So we've got the Praetorian Guard, and then in chapter 4, verse 22, who's mentioned? All of the saints greet you, especially who? Those of Caesar's household. <clears throat> Where had the gospel gone? Gone right into Caesar's household. Members of Caesar's household, whether they're family or servants, 
because often servants are considered part of the household. By the way, that puts another another facet on this idea of slavery. Not all slavery is what we typically think of that took place here in the United States a couple hundred years ago. Slavery has been around for thousands of years, and guess what? It's still here. A lot of the world, people are enslaved. But these people may have been servants. At any rate, they're considered part of Caesar's household, and they have obeyed the gospel. And when Paul writes, he's writing to the church at Philippi from prison, probably in Rome, And this is good evidence that it's from Rome because he says, hey, even the Praetorian Guard has heard. And by the way, as I sign off, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This is is telling. Yes. And when you've got that aspect of it, because they, they had, when, when they were given the Holy Spirit in a baptism, the apostles, they were enabled from that point on to lay their hands on people and a measure of the Spirit was passed on so much that other people could do the miraculous. And it wasn't always speaking in tongues. Sometimes it may have been prophecy a word of prophecy Uh, and when we're introduced to the men who i would call the first deacons in acts chapter six all right one of the qualifications was they had to be filled with the spirit and stephen is one of those guys and later we see that stephen was doing wonders before the people so we we've got this aspect of the spirit moving and working in the church in the first century and who knows who had what. But when Paul writes to the church at Corinth, this is one of the things he focuses on in uh, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th chapters. He talks about their ability to do the miraculous. And one of the things he says in chapter 13 is that we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is, Right. Now the word that the English uses is perfect, but the word means teleos, that which is complete. And there's good evidence that what he's talking about is the complete revelation of the word. And so when the word comes, that which is in part, the prophesying and the speaking in tongues, the miraculous things that are in part. Because what what was the whole purpose for all of that? What was the singular purpose for the miracles? Validation. He wanted to validate the word. How do I know you're telling me the truth? Well, you see your your loved one over there who's dead and raise them from the dead. Oh, wow, you've got something, man. All right. That's from God. Just like Peter and, and John on the steps of the temple there in chapter, what chapter of Acts? Chapter 3? 
Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he got up and walked. And that's when things started to jump around there. Literally, no pun intended. The guy jumped around, but everything else just, wait a minute, what's going on? This guy's been here. Well, they were just speaking in tongues a little while ago. So different miracles for different circumstances. All of those miracles were and wonders were for signs to people that this was real. This was legit. They could look at Simon the sorcerer, for example, in chapter 8 and tell, hmm, it's not the same thing. What did Simon want to do? He wanted to buy what they had. He, oh, man, I got. Uh, let me offer you money so I can do what you're doing, because I can't do that. If Simon could do those things, he wouldn't have offered money so he could do what they're doing. And, of course, the apostles said, your money perish with you. You don't have any part of this now. Well, it's just a, a very different situation. And today, the word has been so uh, prolifically substantiated. There are over 5,000 individual manuscripts of the New Testament available for research. Now, that doesn't mean there's 5,000 total uh, copies of the New Testament available, but no other 20 documents in history have that kind of attestation. So when you, when you read in your New Testament, oh, here's a verse that's contested. Some say this wasn't in the earlier manuscript. Well, how do they know that? Because they have so much evidence to show them one way or the other. So they put it in there so you can make a decision. And none of those passages, not a single one of them, really has anything major concerning a doctrinal issue. So it's fascinating to me and very inspiring the evidence that God's provided that this is his word and it's legit. And so when it says these things happen, we can trust that they happened. And it's not just that. Um, there's so many other ways that the Bible, internal evidence, it's always accurate geographically. It's always accurate historically. Anything it says that touches in the realm of what we might call science, it's always accurate. How did these guys achieve that over 1,500 years 40 different guys writing on all this stuff. And, and so we've got the miracles, we've got the word of prophecy, but we've also got this simple letter that's come down to us today. I say simple. I say simple because when you read it, it's, it's not heavy. It has weighty things in it, but it's not heavy. It's easy to read. This is, this is a man writing to people that he loves and responding uh, to them in such a way because they have responded to him in love. That's what I see throughout this. So, uh, thank you, Preston. Was that a rabbit? That's a good rabbit, wasn't it? Anyway, felt like to me it was. So, uh, have we covered verse 1? <laughs> no, we haven't, have we? Because he says, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints... That's what it'll say in the last part of the book, chapter 422. All the saints greet you. This is a greeting to the saints, all the saints. Are, what are saints? We are saints. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. A saint is simply a sanctified one. And if you are in Christ, you are sanctified. That means you're set apart. Christ has set you apart. 
He lives in you. His spirit lives in you, and that sets you apart from everybody else in the world. I've used this illustration before. I think it's a great one. Uh, I don't know where I got it, but um, you ask the question. Uh, of all the children in this congregation, how many do you love? You love all of them. You can't help but love all of them. Uh, but when the last prayer is said, uh, which ones you taking home? Only your own. Only your own. That's what God's going to do. He's coming for his sanctified ones. We're not better than anybody else. Any more than some children here are better than other children here. They're all of the same value. But those who are sanctified are the ones who will spend, and no, that's not the right word, those who will enjoy eternity with God. You can't spend eternity. You can only spend things that come in amounts. And eternity simply is. There is no amount to eternity like there is to time. Time is running out. Time is running down. We can spend time, but you cannot spend eternity. It's a different animal. Including who? Overseers. Who are overseers? Elders. What's another word for elder? Overseer, another word for overseer. Bishop, another word for bishop. Presbyter, another word. What's that? Pastor. Shepherd. There's there's six of them, I think, total terms that refer to the same office. And what I like about all of those terms is they are all descriptive. Every single one. Overseer, you oversee. And... The word overseer is where we get the word episkopos. You, you see over, bishop, episkopos, bishkop. You can see how that sounds like that and where it comes from. So that, that's what all of them are. So when you see the word bishop, it's not, it's a made-up word, but the meaning behind it is overseer, episkopos, episcopus. Epi means all or over and scope. Just like you put a scope on a rifle. Why do you put a scope on a rifle? So you can kill stuff. Long way off. No, so you can see. That's what a scope's really for. Just like a telescope. Anyway, uh, don't want to get off on that, but consider how the church has grown since Acts 16. Started off with two families, Lydia and her household, and the jailer and his household, and now Paul is writing to a congregation that's well-established, able to provide him financial support. That's what he'll get into later. And they have bishops and they have deacons how does this happen i don't know i want their plan i think what they did was they talked to people about jesus that's what i think they did i don't know how it can happen any other way so that's the thing eternal life is the singular gift that no other religion can offer and that's what they have, and that's what they apparently talk to people about. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. You know people that you feel that way about. Every time you think about them, you smile. That's how Paul felt about this congregation. Law of Moses and yet had to live in the world without air conditioning and 
Right. Good point. Paul? had a bare spot not long ago in the backyard and I thought well it's kind of shady so I went to Walmart and got some seed raked up the ground a little bit dropped some seed and watered it threw some more dirt on it left it what do you think I got now <laughs> what's the matter Amy <laughs> what do I got Amy <laughs> all right I got some grass. But it didn't come up like I had wanted. In my mind, I had this lush, green, thick thump. Look at that, man. Just take a helicopter and turn it upside down to mow that stuff. No, you don't need that. You don't need that. There's grass. But there wasn't grass before I put the seed there. And after I put the seed there, it took a while. I went out the next day, and I looked at it. You know, I didn't really expect to see grass, but I just, I just, I was interested in it. Man, I planted grass. I want to see what it does. You do that. Some of you, when you put your, your gardens in, you just, you go out and you look and you water and you care for it and you pull those weeds. I remember hoeing weeds as a kid. I hated that. I didn't appreciate the fact, man, we're going to have some corn. All that came later. Who had a hand up somewhere? Oh, Harold. I think the thing that I read about this is I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. It's a reflection of what Paul remembered about the church in Philippi. Uh, that's the way I see the church at Choctaw. We're people that we're not perfect, but we're all trying, and we're trying. To, I think we got a lot of people are doing a lot of things to make the church successful and to help in, in events and with the kids and that sort of thing. And so, <laughs> when I get up in the morning, I'm so thankful for the church. Amen. These are sweet, precious people. We're not we're not perfect, of course. <laughs> I'm not either. None of us are. But we can have the love and care for each other that, that could could never be replaced with anything else. I really the like it when I fantastic. travel. People, people ask me when I travel, what, how's the church doing out in Oh, man, let me tell you about the church at Choctaw. It gives me an opportunity to brag because you guys are, you really are great. I'm not just saying that. It's when, when he writes, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, that's, that's how I feel about you guys, Preston. Kind of like Moses when he came down from the mountain. You know, he was glowing. You know, he had covered So It's almost like the love, the ministry, the love. And that's what makes this one rich. So if we minister, even though we sow, it, it, that's right. It's going, to, it's going to all fall on different uh, grounds. Some going to weather, some going to give, some going to give so much. But the ministry and, and, and the tending to the love, it's what makes the soil rich. It helps helps it to grow because without the love, it's going to die. You know, I mean, I, I love what he said.
I'm looking out at, at admirable people, respectable people, capable people, competent people. That's what I'm looking at right now. Something attracted each one of you to Jesus Christ. Each one of you said, I need that guy. I need to put him on in baptism. I need to live my life for him. I need to dedicate myself. You all said that. I can't believe that there aren't other people out there just like you and just like me who, if we could spend enough time talking to them, they would say, oh, I see what you mean. I need Jesus too. And they may not even realize it, how desperately they need a Savior. But We know that you are friends. We know that if we associate and we lend ourselves to those situations, that we suffer a degradation of our morals. We know that. But then, on the other hand, if we associate with people of good moral character, and, and, and that's what the body does for us, does help keep us and help us through this life. It's almost like, don't get close to that Choctaw Church of Christ building because, man, you're going to turn into a Christian. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it, I know that's just a, a visual, but it, it lends an idea about how we are, that we love. You know, we, they can see us, we are known by our love. That's, that's the way it's supposed to work. And Jesus said that. He said, when they see your unity, they'll know that God sent me. And when they see your love... All of that comes to, Jesus talked about those two things, especially. Uh, in, in, my, in my Bible here, <laughs> there's a map. And it shows the surrounding area where everything has taken place. And as I look at this map, it, it, it reminds me of any time you get ready to go somewhere, you want to know where you're going. But you want to know what's in that place. If we wanted to go from here to Dale City, okay, well, we know where Dale City is at. It's in that direction. But we have a map here that shows us in the days of Paul, when he went to Philippi, that was the hotbed just outside of Rome. It wasn't very far away. You want to look at it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can see that, it, that all the roads lead to Rome. It's like us saying all roads lead to the White House or where the government seat is. There's always lots of activity. But you everywhere on the map that you look, there's a, this is where the deity of the Egyptians stays. It stays there. Mm -hmm. They want to know, well, where's these Egyptian uh, gods? They want to go worship there. So it's a hotbed, if you want to call it that. It's a hotbed of religion. You've got religion everywhere you turn. And so what happens when they come in here with the Christian, with the church, is that these people, we never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. This is something altogether different. And, and when, the, when the man that, that became a Christian, he wanted to buy it, because he thought that it was just like all the rest of them. There's money involved here. Well, there was money there in Philippi, in that area. There evidently were gold mines. <laughs> really? So, gold always indicated power. 
And here we see that the, the Roman government is here, uh, 20, 30 miles away, and then here, here's the, the place of Philippi. But in Philippi, as you walk around, you see one on every corner. You see some kind of deity that people are worshiping. And, and uh, so here you come in with a little bitty big group of people that call themselves Christians, and then they say, oh, they're just like all the rest. You know, that, that, that's, their, that's their explanation. For some people but, it is. But, huh? For some people it is. But, yeah, but why but were they in? Yeah. But, but it's something that they've never seen before. And he says, how can I get a hold of it? How can I learn more about it? How can I get a hold of it? Uh, the church is like a magnet, really. It draws people. And so it draws people to what Christ has to give them, not what they can do for Him. And it, it takes someone who's looking for that. And why were they in Philippi in the first place? Do you remember that from Acts? They wanted to go to Bithynia. Why did they not go to Bithynia? Why did they not go to uh, Galatia? All right, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. Nope, nope, not not over the, not over, not yet. Maybe later. Well, for sure later. But Paul lays down and he has this vision of what? Some guy from Macedonia saying, "Come over and help us." That's how they wound up in Philippi. So when you've got that kind of guidance, that's. And I'm not saying, well, no need for us to evangelize because we don't have visions like that anymore. No, that's that's not the point. The point is God was leading them to where there were some ripe fields. And I believe God will do the same thing for us if we prepare ourselves and, and we're looking for it and we're reaching out. And it may be a dry spell. Maybe that's what we're going through. Uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said to preach the gospel in two different times. What were those times? In season and out of season. Maybe right now it's out of season. That doesn't mean stop preaching. He said, preach it out of season. Preach it in season. Just keep on going. And the church at Philippi is a result of the gospel being preached and people saying, yeah, we need that. And that's that's why the church is here at Choctaw. Same thing. Same thing. Yes.
Perhaps one exception was, was John the Baptist when he talked to the Pharisees, the hypocrites. Well, see, now that is yeah. his own people. Right. But the Romans, the Greeks, everybody else, he never condemned another religion, only the perversion of the Hebrew religion. The, the thing about truth is if you teach the truth, it'll expose everything else for you. Yeah. It's like having a having a dollar bill when and I've, I've read this and I've heard this when you're talking to treasury people they'll say they were trained to recognize a real dollar bill they weren't trained to recognize all the fakes they just learned how to recognize the real thing and that's all they needed to know if you know what the real thing is you, you use that and you can identify anything that's not that as a fake but the focus of Paul and Silas and Timothy was the preaching of Jesus Christ. And when Paul, even when he wrote to the church at Corinth, what did he say to Corinth? I didn't know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there's a lesson in there for us. If people have questions about other aspects of religion and Christianity and the church and what the Bible says, sure, talk to them about that. But it's got to come down to talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's... That's where you get down to where people will be converted. Because if you're not converted to Jesus Christ, you're, you're not converted at all. That's what it's got to be. And that's what happened at Philippi, evidently. And I think that's why Paul is able to write the way he's writing to them. Yes? We talk about being sanctified. We were sanctified in the beginning. We're also being sanctified. Right. What, what chapter? 1 Corinthians 3. 3, 10 to 15. Okay. It was given to me like a wise master builder on laid a foundation and another man building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if a man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Fire itself will be tested the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, and so has the one through the fire. So, I mean, if, you know, if we get things wrong, I don't know how that works. And, and, I, and, and you know, I, I have a little disagreement sometimes with people on what happens exactly when we die. And we're not judged, but yet we are judged. You Teachers will be judged more strictly. Well, that means something, you know. And mm-hmm. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, yet we're not judged. I, I kind of look at maybe possibly two different judgments. But, but that's all I can reconcile a denomination preaching things that I think are wrong. But if we don't say you're absolutely going to hell, then we 
you got to have, have some kind of a reasoning of what happens. Well, maybe the work, some of that work will be burned up, and maybe some of ours too. I, I don't know how that works. I know Christ is coming back in flaming fire. Maybe that's the point. Just, you know, everybody's works will be burned up that are that are in the world, and what, what we give for Christ will remain. I don't know how that works, and, and I don't pretend to, but, but uh, we talk about world religions, we got to come up with some kind of theology to say, well, you know, I mean, some people in the Church of Christ say, you know, you're absolutely going to hell. You got you don't believe in baptism before the remission of sins, you're going to hell. You know, you baptize for the wrong reason, you're going to hell. Well, if, if we don't say that and start preaching that, then we got to have, we can have some kind of reasoning why we don't say it. Either we're afraid or we're being persecuted or we don't believe it. And if you back that up just a little bit, you, you come back to the whole reason why you would ever even say anything like that. It's because of Jesus. Is that what Jesus said or is it not? It always goes back to him. And if you find people, th this is what I've, this has been my experience over and over and over again, talking to people about the gospel. Some people... You'll stumble over your words trying to teach them, but they get it because they're, they're moving towards it the whole time and they're eating it up, even if you're not doing very well as a teacher. Other people, you could have a, a golden voice and the exact words, and they will still fight you tooth and nail. When Jesus talked about dogs and pigs, he was talking about people. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. Don't give what's holy to the dogs. There are people who don't appreciate it. There are other people that you can't, wild horses wouldn't keep them from it. They're going to get it because they just have that hunger. Those are the ones I'm looking for. I think there's some still out there, and we may be able to generate that kind of interest. It may just take uh, talking to somebody today who for the next six months will remember, well, I can't forget what they talked to me about, what they said. They said I needed to know Jesus Christ, and if I didn't have Christ in my life, it was going to be a lot harder and maybe even lose my soul. Wow, I, I need to look into that. I don't want to look into that, but I need to look into that, but I don't want to look into that. You see how it goes because you, you can tell people about a good place to eat, and it's fine and dandy. They go or they don't go, but if you tell people about Jesus, no, there's an obligation. Yes. Um, I think it's interesting that no one took the time to condemn the magician. They didn't condemn him for his magics and his tricks and deceitfulness. Although that would have been the perfect opportunity to tell him what he was doing was wrong. No one condemned him, but they still taught him the truth by showing the signs and the wonders that were real. And even a deceiver was believing and was baptized from the signs and the wonders that he saw when he saw the truth. Right. And after he embraced the truth, then when he drew back to offer money for it, that's when he was he was reprimanded. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, not for being a deceiver. And I wonder about things like that. I, I don't think when Jesus or when John, when they were calling people vipers, I don't think it was because they were just taking their angst out on these guys. I think they were telling them some truth that they needed to hear, that if anything was going to change them, that was going to be what it was. 
It's like when you've got a jar you can't open. I don't know about you. I turn it upside down, and I'm banging on the counter. Stupid jar, I'm going to get you open. <laughs> and it works <laughs> most of the time if you don't break the glass. But sometimes people need that. They just need a good, a good rap. And sometimes the truth is enough of a rap. They'll, they'll hear that, and they'll go, wow, I, I need to do something. Other times it, it takes a little more. What's that? He never called, uh, let's say Romans, Greeks, whatever. He never called them He only called his own religion. Just the hypocrites. Yeah. Not, not even people who were not doing well. Yeah. He, you know, the, the, the demonian, the demonian, the Gadarene demoniac. He didn't call him names. You stupid guy. What's, what's, how come you're letting a demon live in you? He took care of him. So, anyway, time to quit. I'll save it for next week. <laughs> Write it down. I don't want to miss it.